Um, if you'll look in your bulletin under the responsive reading, it ends after praise God for his great doings, hallelujah. Um, I have to admit, Sharon had this all done and I changed it on her and she reran it for me. So I really appreciate that. I welcome you here on this beautiful Easter morning. Thank you for making the effort to be here for the early service. Last Sunday, we began Christ's Last Week on Earth with Palm Sunday, and it was made especially sweet for me by our children singing and waving palm fronds. And then we moved forward to Good Friday. It was a thought-provoking time that we spent together reliving those last few hours of Jesus' life. And now today, we are celebrating Christ's resurrection. What a wonderful promise that gives us all. This morning, I would like to read a few verses from Mark 6, 1 to 7. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salam brought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll stone away from the entrance to the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be afraid, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. There's a song by Mercy Me that speaks to me. I imagine that this will be what it'll be like for me when I meet God and come before his throne. I would like to read a few words of it to you. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. This song has been running through my mind for several days now. Because we have the assurance of resurrection, we have nothing to fear. And how will we be when we stand in his presence? There's a story that I found that came from a new ideals for Christmas. <laughs> Christmas. Sorry, Christmas is my deal. Easter. Okay, it really is Easter. I got the right. <laughs> there was a woman whose house had burned to the ground. It had happened in the fall. Everything was destroyed, gone, dead. She had moved into a new place, replaced things, and still had her family and friends, but she still felt the grief and loss keenly. Easter Sunday was the first time she had the courage to face the destruction of her home. As she walked slowly toward the charred ruins, she could see bits of glass that caught the sunshine. As she drew nearer, she realized that the only things recognizable was the concrete steps that had led up to her front door. She sat down on the steps and thought of everything she had lost, her children and grandchildren, 
would never come to this house again. Easter seemed impossible amid all this wreckage and destruction. But all of a sudden, something small and purple caught her eye. When she investigated closer, what she thought had been a piece of cloth turned out to be a tiny crocus. It was pushing its way up through the soggy ashes and debris. It was small and sturdy. It was opening itself to the sunlight. She wondered how something so small and seemingly fragile could be so strong. The death around it made it look even smaller, and yet here it was. She thought about the cross at her church. She had seen it a thousand times before, but now she thought of it in a different light. It represented the greatest strength in the universe, the ultimate triumph of life over death. Easter was not merely a day for family and friends to gather and egg hunts for the children. Now, nor was it a celebration framed in the walls of the church with stately flowers and music. Easter was strength springing forth from weakness, wrenched from defeat, the empty tomb, triumphing over the grave. Please join me in the responsive reading. Come and hear the good news. Tell us the news of the Savior. He is risen. My Redeemer lives. The tomb is empty. Praise God for his great name. Hallelujah.
Will you bow your heads with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your son's sacrifice so that we may get into heaven easier than before. Thank you for letting us be here to remember your son and hope that we can uh, do good with his sacrifice. Amen. All right, can I have all of the kids come up and join me? And we're going to sit kind of in a circle. So kids on the floor here. Miss Avery's going to help me, so that's why she's up here. Can you sit down here? You're going to want to sit in the circle because I have some things to pass around. So if you're not on the floor in the circle, you might miss them. Okay? Right here, Banks. Banks, here. All right. So we have been talking about the exciting news of Jesus his resurrection, right? And that he has risen from the tomb. And this is something that we hear about every year, but I have a really cool story to tell you guys, and it's about a boy named Benjamin and the experience that he had through all of these things that we've been talking about the last few weeks, okay? And I have some things that we're going to pass around and talk about, so be ready. So I want to tell you about a young boy named Benjamin. Benjamin loved God. Benjamin talked to God a lot and gave thanks to him every day. Benjamin's family was poor, so he helped by taking old jobs around the city. Everyone in Jerusalem seemed to know him, and they could always count on him to be honest and to work hard. Do you think those are good qualities to have, to be honest and to work hard? Benjamin had a special box. It was very special to him because his grandfather gave it to him before he died. One day, he showed his box to his friend Eli. Eli opened the box only to find some old straw. See the straw? This is a treasure box, he said. Benjamin told him that the straw came from a baby born in a stable. He told me, my grandfather told me the baby would grow up to be king. Who do you think that baby was? Yeah. Eli told Benjamin he had heard there was a king coming today. The boys decided to go to the city gate to watch for him. So this is the first thing that we have. We're going to open up this egg because this is something that's important about the story. Does anybody know what this is? I'm going to to pass it around. You can pass it to the person next to you, and you guys can look at it while I read. When the boys arrived at the city gates, they saw a man riding a donkey through the crowd. Benjamin knew the man was Jesus. That's him. That's Jesus. Hosanna, Hosanna. Benjamin knew it was Jesus, but couldn't understand why the king rode on a donkey. A man in the crowd told the boys, Jesus rides a donkey because he comes in peace. Somebody's child is having a hard time listening. (laughs) Jesus rides on a donkey because he comes in peace. 
Jesus has come to set us free. As Jesus and the donkey rode, Benjamin reached out to pet the donkey. A small tuft of hair came off in his hands that night, and he put it in his treasure box. So, Bronx, can you put that in the treasure box? Treasure box once you get done. All right. Just leave it. No. All right. Here's the next thing we're going to pass around. Over the next few days, the boys went to hear Jesus talk whenever they could. Benjamin overheard some of the men in the crowd talking that they wanted Jesus to stop teaching and were offering money for someone to betray Jesus. Benjamin loved Jesus and knew he needed to warn somebody. Benjamin found Judas in a crowd and warned him about Jesus being in danger. Judas told Benjamin not to worry and he would take care of it and not to repeat it to anyone else. Judas handed Benjamin a shiny coin before he left. That night, Benjamin added the coin to his treasure box. All right, here comes the next thing. The next day, Benjamin had to help serve dinner with his aunt. He was so excited to find out the guest of honor was going to be Jesus. He listened intently during the supper as Jesus told his friends, the wine is like my blood and the bread is to be broken like my body. He went on to say that someone would betray him. Benjamin was worried. He knew Judas would protect him. After supper, Benjamin found a broken cup and saved it to remember the night he served Jesus. So, Banks, can you tell them what is our next item? What is that? A cup. Uh-huh. Can you put it in our treasure box? All right, Layla, this next one I'm going to have you put in our treasure box, okay? Okay, go sit down. All right, here's the next thing to look at. Later, Jesus and his friends left to pray. Benjamin followed so he could watch from afar and pray too. Soon, soldiers had shown up and were taking Jesus away. Benjamin tried to stop them, but Jesus' friends said they had to let him go. Benjamin knew he must pray that God would take care of his friend Jesus. So, Layla, what did we put in Benjamin's treasure box? What did you put in Benjamin's treasure box? They were praying hands. Can you show me your praying hands? Yes, because Benjamin is praying that God will take care of Jesus. Okay, let Layla put it back in the treasure box. All right, Zoe, this next one's yours. All right, let's see what we have here. Banks, after you get it, give it back to Zoe because she's going to put it in the treasure box for us. The next morning, Eli told Benjamin that they had locked Jesus up. Everyone was saying Judas got a bunch of money to betray Jesus. Benjamin couldn't believe what he was hearing. Judas had said he would help Jesus. Benjamin's thoughts were stopped by the angry crowd yelling and soldiers beating Jesus with leather whips. Benjamin was heartbroken. He couldn't understand why anyone would beat Jesus. 
As he began to follow, he found a small leather strip laying on the ground from one of the soldier's whips. As Benjamin continued to walk and follow Jesus, he only saw the soldiers show more hatred towards Jesus. They shoved a crown of thorns on Jesus' head as others beat him with sticks. Benjamin's eyes filled with tears. He couldn't understand what was going on. His head fell on his hands and he began to pray. When he looked up, Jesus had moved on. He walked over to where Jesus had been and picked up a sharp thorn from his awful crown. That night, he placed the leather strip and thorn in his box and cried. All right, thanks. Can you put the thorn in his treasure box? What do you think those are? Mm -hmm. Eli rushed to Benjamin, letting him know the news that Jesus had been crucified. Benjamin ran to the hill where Jesus was. He couldn't bear to look up at his friend and instead looked at the ground where he found a large spike like the ones they were using to nail Jesus to the cross. Benjamin sat on the hill with some of Jesus' other friends and prayed, I'm sorry, God. I'm so sorry. Why do you think Benjamin is saying that he's sorry? Because he died. He's sorry. Well, he, yes, but he, he's feeling guilty because he knows he told Judas about the people wanted to betray Jesus, and he thinks that he's the reason. Do you think God is mad at Benjamin? No. Thanks. Can you put them in the treasure box, the nails? All right, so Benjamin watched as soldiers gambled for Jesus' clothes. That big word means that they played games to see who could win Jesus' clothes, okay? So we have this. What is this? Yeah, we, do we play games with this? Yeah, so some men played games, and the winner got Jesus' clothes. He couldn't stand to see the pain and sorrow in Jesus' eyes, and soon Jesus took his last breath and died. Benjamin did not understand how God allowed that to happen. Later that night, he placed the gambling stone he had found and the nails in his treasure chest. He looked at his collection It had seemed so valuable when he believed Jesus was king, but now it all brought him so much sadness. Eli ran to Benjamin the next morning. They posted guards at Jesus' tomb, and some say that Jesus will return to life, he told him. Benjamin had been told about Jesus bringing others back from the dead, and he knew it was possible. Benjamin ran to the tomb only to see it guarded by soldiers and was told to leave. As he walked back down the hill, he found a piece of white cloth hanging on the branch. Did you guys feel the white cloth? His parents had woven cloth like this for funerals. He was sure it belonged to Jesus. That night, he sadly placed it in his box. He was sure he would be the la- it would be the last thing to remember his friend by.
Early the next morning, Benjamin was at the market. He heard a girl shout, Jesus has risen from the dead. The stone has been moved. Benjamin ran as fast as he could to Jesus' tomb. Sure enough, the stone was rolled away and Benjamin fell to his knees thanking God. As he ran home to tell his parents the good news, he picked up a sharp piece of broken rock from Jesus' tomb. What a treasure this would be for his box. All right, here's my last one. Are you ready? What's in it? The tomb was empty, and Benjamin knew he had to go share. The good news of Jesus is love for all of us with others. Benjamin used his treasure box to tell the story of Jesus to everyone he met. The treasure is really, is really Jesus, because what Jesus did on the cross, we can all be forgiven by the God. We can all be get forgiven by God the Father. So I have a little prayer, and then I have something to give you. Dear God, thank you for letting us find special treasures in our lives. But most of all, we thank you for sending us the greatest treasure of all. Thank you for sending us Jesus. And help us to be a good servant for Jesus. Help us to tell everyone we know about the good news. Amen. So I have a really exciting surprise for you. Are you guys ready to see what it is? Isn't that amazing? Well, guess what? You guys are just like Benjamin. You're going to take this egg, and maybe you can go home and even put the word Benjamin on it and Jesus on it and kind of remember this story, because I want you to go throughout life finding things to put in your treasure box. And it doesn't have to be real things. You can think in your head or at night. You can think about what you're grateful for and your blessings. And I want you to fill up your treasure boxes so that when you meet your friends and you meet new people in life, you can tell them all about Jesus's love and the sacrifice he made for us. And that's why we celebrate him today. Can you guys do that? All right, you guys can come pick an egg and then go back to your seats. Thanks for hanging out with me. Do fall on the 
grass Praise for the sweetness Of the wet garden Sprung in completeness Where his feet pass Mine is the sunlight Mine is the morning Born of the one light Eden saw play Praise with elation Praise every morning God's recreation Of the new day has broken like the first morning blackbird has spoken like the first bird praise for the singing praise for the morning praise for them springing fresh from the world Before I begin, I, I need to acknowledge um, Ashley's wonderful little piece here. Um, honestly, the greatest fear I ever have is being asked to do a children's moment. <laughs> I'm not sure I was ever a child, as some people would like to say, but I know I, I, know I was. <clears throat> but um, I, I learned something this morning about Ashley, and even though I've known her all her life, and since she was little, and ever since the time she actually wanted to come and live with Jeannie and I, uh, because we had a pool in our backyard, and not because we were such great people, it was that we had a pool in our backyard. But I learned this morning that the secret to doing a children's moment uh, is props and magic. Uh, I noticed sitting behind, you see things. Have any of you ever been fascinated with magic uh, as a kid? And then you were disillusioned later on when you found out there really wasn't any magic, there was just sleight of hand, okay? Well, if you watched carefully this morning, Ashley would use her props, her little eggs in her left hand, and she would hold them out far enough away that it would distract everyone's attention to the egg. In the meantime, she was moving her cheat sheets to the back of the book 
so that she could read what was on the book without having to look at it. And that has always been my greatest fear, is how do you sit there and read something, keep their attention, and yet turn it so that they can see it? And I just learned something new. Um, it also made me feel good because it took me two or three pages to realize what she was doing. And I was impressed that she had committed all of this to memory um, when I'm bound to my notes. So Ashley, I appreciate the lesson this morning and I, I think the kids got a lot out of it. The other thing I noticed was Zoe. Come here a minute, I gotta ask you a question. It's okay if you did, okay? Because as I was preparing for this morning, I had my own week of trial and tribulation. Um, and this was about the ninth thing on my to-do list for this week. But I was reminded of a time when I was a teenager. And one year our youth leaders planned a sunrise service in one of the local parks for Easter morning. They planned the service to begin about 10 to 15 minutes before sunrise so that we could envision the first rays of sunlight rising into the sky. Our youth leader worked for the Union Pacific Railroad, as did many people who attended our congregation. And accordingly, he truly understood the importance of train schedules and timing. I'd like to make a note of the fact that this service began at exactly 8.30 as it was scheduled. Months ahead of time, he set out to work the projected service time, calculate the average time for people to drive to the site, to park, and walk to where the service would be held. He factored in all of the variables, stoplights, speed limits, needing gas in the car, not being able to find the keys, et cetera, et cetera, and recommended that we all set our alarm clocks very early enough in order to give us plenty of time to arrive in advance. When he finally told us, we probably needed to be up around 3.45 in the morning to shower, dress, and drive to our rendezvous, we issued a collective groan and thought to ourselves, can it be an Easter sunset service? <laughs> Typical teenagers. One even had to make, offer the remark that what an ungodly hour that was for church. Needless to say, the significance of the timing of the service was lost on most of the teenagers that were there that morning. Thanks to scientific research, we now know that dumb remarks by teenagers are attributable to brains that are only partially developed. 
It's ironic, then, that some politicians want to lower the voting age to 16. <clears throat> Imagine teenagers that now show little good judgment running the nation. But if that happens, I expect my grandchildren would be looking to change Easter to Monday so that they could get another day out of school. In any case, Easter weekend arrived, <clears throat> and we had all set our alarm clocks. 3.45, we all rose from our beds, dressed, and arrived at the location by a quarter of five. It was pitch dark, damp, and chilly. Our leaders appeared just a little too chipper for that early in the morning. But we attributed that to the fact that, I mean, after all, they were in their 40s. They were old and lacking any social life that kept them out past 9 o'clock the night before. <laughs> With big smiles on their faces, they greeted us and told us how delighted they were to see us. Ignoring the fact that we were not necessarily wide awake, some not cheerful, some not that excited by the prospect of trading their snug bed for a thin blanket spread on dewy grass and little comfort to the cold and dampness of early April. But we were all there. And we soon found ourselves listening to our leaders speak of the significance of the day and how our willingness to share in that early morning time was a demonstration of our faith. Together we sang the old hymn, I Know That My Redeemer Lives, and waited for the sun to make its appearance before us. Ten minutes passed, no sun. Ten minutes more, no sun. Ten minutes more, and still no sun. No sun appeared before us. No sun even suggested it was going to appear before us. And don't immediately assume it was because it was the beginning of daylight savings time, because that's not the answer. But as the sky did slowly lighten, and we were able to make out each other's faces and the landscape around us, we came to have some doubts about this whole endeavor, about getting up way too early, dragging ourselves out to this forlorn spot, sitting uncomfortably on wet ground, and awaiting a sunrise that seemed endlessly delayed. Soon we were beginning to look at each other with furrowed brows and chattering teeth, and one brave soul finally uttered what we all had come to believe. He pointed out that the spot we had chosen, high on a hill, backed by thick woods, with majestic views of the Missouri River, faced west, not east and was really more conducive to that Easter sunset service that we had all wished for. 
At that moment, our leader became a little perplexed that all his planning had not taken into consideration the fact that it faced the wrong direction. He candidly admitted his error, but noted that no matter how much we might wish the sun to rise that morning in the West, it most certainly would not. And despite our desire to do, for it to do so, the sun that morning was bound to rise in the East just as it has since the beginning of time. In spite of his observations, we sat quietly the light slowly emerged behind us, the sun rising to our rear, finally clearing the trees and thoroughly warming us with its heat. We laughed at Marvin's apparent mistake, and Marvin laughed with us. But then he went on to explain that he had not been mistaken when he chose this spot but purposefully chose it because it suited what he had to say to us. Marvin pointed out that we each came that morning with certain expectations of seeing a magnificent sunrise appearing before us. And, we quickly, and as we quickly came to realize it was not going to work out that way, we were sorely disappointed. But that's human nature but disappointment is not God's nature. And if we are to become one with God, we need to align our expectations with his nature. Marvin pointed out, noted that God does not reorder events to simply suit the wants and needs of us. He does not alter the rising and setting of the sun to simply save us embarrassment, to ease the damp and cold, to even out the days and nights, and make it warmer or colder to suit our tastes. God did not part the Red Sea because Moses simply asked him to, but because it suited God's purposes to do so. The power to achieve miracles is not ours but his. God does things in his own time and in his own way for his own reason. And nowhere is this more evident than it was in Jerusalem as the preparations were made for the Passover celebration several thousand years ago. At that time, there was a heightened expectation, expectation of some Judeans that great events were to transpire. Many of those that gathered in Jerusalem for the celebration spoke of deliverance that year, a long-held promise of the Israelites. Some went so far as to name the deliverer, Yeshua, an itinerant preacher from Nazareth. In the conversation of the people, Yeshua was portrayed as a deliverer, a social reformer, a magician, a heretic, a nationalist, a savior, an uncrowned king. Much was expected of him. 
but most were soon disappointed by the unfolding events of that time. They had come expecting great feats of power, even miracles, reminded of the prophecies that for generation after generation had been foretold of their deliverance, their salvation, their freedom, their power. But within a matter of days, most of those that had been rejoicing in the streets and proclaiming their, their support for him faded away into the shadows, disillusioned, dissatisfied, and filled with despair, disappointed that once again promises and prophecies were left unfulfilled. Yet those Judeans at that time, witness to the events, completely missed the important message of their brief encounter with God's plan for his creation. In the weeks leading up to Passover, many Judeans were absolutely certain that their promises, their prophecies, their expectations would finally be filled. They essentially believed that God was compelled to unveil his plan in a manner that suited the time and place and circumstances of mankind. So many of those that were there at that time failed to understand that God is ever free to choose as he might, to change his mind, to answer prayer or not, to make his presence known or to stand in the shadows, always to the disappointment of those who think that they possess some extraordinary power to compel God to do as they like. They fail to see that in the most, the most meaningful lesson we might find in the life of Jesus was not the humiliation and death, but for all that we find the importance in that, we find the importance of abiding faith, that through disappointment and despair, we might continue to still find hope and purpose, that within us we have the power to redeem ourselves, to bring our life into harmony with God's purpose, and know, as did Jesus, of God's everlasting presence as we pursue those goals, that we, as individuals, as a portion of his creation, are called, like all the generations before us, who look to Jesus as their example, to be ever faithful and remain committed to his purposes. Once again, in joy and wonder, we approach the holy tomb where despair's been rent asunder, where a glory lights the gloom, where the Marys went at dawning on that week's initial day, where the sepulchre is yawning for its stones been rolled away.
Once again, the angel motions to the faithful to draw near and to offer their devotions with the news, He is not here. He has risen. Be not fearful. As He promised, He has done. Be not sick at heart or tearful. His great victory is won. Once again, we thank our Master for the message Easter gives. Though there's heartbreak and disaster for each one of us who lives, we can glimpse eternal portals through a faith which makes it known that what it means the most to mortals isn't earthbound by a stone.
will you join me in the sending forth? The empty cross announces victory. Hallelujah. Praise God. The empty tomb testifies that Jesus Christ is our risen Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. May our discipleship proclaim the living Christ. Hallelujah. My Redeemer lives. Amen. Thank you.